Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. It's so nice to have you listening with us today. We have a wonderful show planned for you. We're going to talk today about strength-based living. That might sound a little complex, but if you think of the words that make a person emotionally strong and capable of handling adversity, we'd be talking about connection, hope, gratitude, flexibility, focusing on choices, not our circumstances. All of these are wonderful things. And in this month of suicide prevention and awareness, we wanted to bring you the thought that we don't need to let things get to the crisis point. We can actually gird ourselves and protect against getting there by learning some skills and some... Uh, I will let them talk to you more about the skills and, and the um, living resiliently uh, tools that they will give us today. And let me introduce you to our guest today. We have Dr. Mary Bartlett. She's a behavioral health consultant on resilience, risk reduction, and suicide prevention. Dr. Nicole Siegfried, clinical director at Castlewood at the Highlands Treatment Center and a resilience trainer. And Senior Master Sergeant Hope Skibitsky. United States Air Force Master Resilience Trainer. The fact that I could say that is quite amazing. <laughs> so welcome to all of you. Thank you. It's Thank a pleasure you. to be here. Thank you. Well, I was very excited about this because we often talk about things after the fact. Let's deal with things when people have gotten in a very deep, dark place. And when you learn skills and are able to be um, resilient and you can bounce back, and again, you focus on your choices and not your circumstances so much, it really becomes a wonderful tool. So for ease, if you don't mind, I will call you by your first names on our program because I will not be able to spit all that out again very quickly. So Mary, would you like to start with us and give us a little background on what you have been doing and training because this has been something you've done, I, I know I've seen pictures on Facebook with you in front of an entire battalion. <laughs> so let's go. Let's take it from the battalion level right down to the personal level and give an overview, and then we'll get into a discussion. You know, uh, Linda, it's kind of funny because next week I literally will be speaking to an entire fleet, and I'm branching into the Navy now, and oh it's goodness. a whole different language, and I'm actually quite nervous about learning that language and referring <laughs> to Air Force or Army, you know, terms. But um, in reference to your question, what I've been doing, I studied my area of research is uh, suicide and resilience. Those are my two areas. Mm-hmm. And when the increase in suicides occurred with the military, um, I was called in to start giving briefings really across the the world on you know how to help commanders and frontline supervisors and airmen and whatever branch work toward um, understanding the suicidal mind mm-hmm. what's been v- a very interesting trajectory is that we have now moved we've evolved over that 10 year time span really to instead of talking about the uh, suicide itself and understanding understanding the suicidal mind into more of a strength based approach and, and including the post mention because now unfortunately 
unfortunately, we've had so many suicides that commanders and all the branches and, mem and mem service members and families are needing to learn skills on how to help build a sense of community um, through the grief process after a suicide. And what we know through research is that part of that postvention process is building on the strengths that a person has to face that kind of adversity uh, rather than focusing on the weaknesses. And so that's where we've gotten to. And the, the key words that you used just a moment ago, are, they really are important because there are many different terms that we refer to when we talk about strength-based skills. And hopefully we'll talk about some of the other ones, but those are the primary ones that research shows if you focus on a sense of connection or belonging, hope, gratitude, and that flexibility, you really are going to be more equipped in your daily life to face not just huge adversity, but like you said, Linda, you know, smaller forms of adversity when they come up bit by bit so that you're better prepared in terms of your strength-based living to handle something bigger in adversity. Well, and I love that, it, I think it's unfortunate that we have to get to these wonderful trainings by coming at it from the back end into postvention. I love that it's now moved to the front of the continuum of care, if you will, so that it's preparatory. Because there is trauma in every life. There are challenges in every life. The word conundrum is a wonderful word, but everybody has dilemmas to deal with and choices that are maybe bad and less bad. But if you're given tools to work with them, you really do realize you can make it through these temporary problems and move forward. And that's what I love. So I'm, I'm glad that it has moved to the front of the line. And so when you're going into talk to a group, um, do you take the approach of this is a very positive thing you're doing? And so does it come across that way to everyone? I certainly hope it does, and, and Hope Hope can uh, maybe speak on that a little bit too, because she does okay. a lot of group trainings uh, for service members. Um, absolutely, I think the the person that's speaking about it has to have a certain energy, and I think that Hope will testify to this as well. You have to live it yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to speak the language daily. You have to practice gratitudes daily in your own life. You have to find hopefulness in your world, mm -hmm. um, whatever it might be. Um, you need to find connection so that you are practicing it, I think that you need to be authentic in what you live in order to teach it effectively. A very valid point. Hope, would you like to comment on that? You're 100% right, Mary. I have found in dealing with first-term airmen in particular, a lot of them will tell us that they always imagine when we talk about adversity that something is going to be monumental before they start to recognize the stress that comes with it. But what they find when they've joined the, uh, the military is that just being away from home is one of those things that they didn't know was going to affect them so heavily and not interacting with their siblings or their friends. And so those that lack of sense of belonging really does impede their ability to kind of feel resilient and happy and excited. And so a lot of what we're doing is helping them build that belongingness so that they can find the strength to be more flexible and adaptable and giving them the opportunity to, to feel more resilient when the everyday stressors start to wear on them. It, you know, when, I, I'm going to bring Nicole into this as well. Mm -hmm. Would you say, Nicole, that it's not often the giant things that tip or pivot point? Is it often the accumulation of small things that really do add up over time, that accumulate in, in weightiness, if you will, that really 
take people to a different place. They they suddenly cannot manage things. Is it a tipping point thing? Is it an accumulated thing? Or is it the bigger things? Well, it can be both. And I always think of this analogy, you know, if um, I wish I could be in front of you, but if somebody was coming down with a karate chop on your arm, um, of course that would be traumatic. But if someone was just slowly tapping, tap, 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 tap on you, uh, you on your arm on a daily basis, that also would cause bruises and trauma over time. And so we can use that same analogy for, um, you know, the experiences that we have. And in the literature, they'll sometimes talk about big T traumas and little T traumas. And I really, um, we, we try to stay away from that language because uh, those those um, traumas that add up, um, they're different kinds of traumas, mm-hmm. but they still have can have the same kinds of impact. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the the deployed ones. Do you find that our connectivity today is harder for service people, for troops, because they are connected at home and they have stressors in the field downrange and they have stressors at home? Has that impacted the way that you are training people up? I hope, do you want to respond to that and yes. then I'll talk about the so, training component, component? Absolutely. So I know that um, dealing with airmen and dealing with sailors are, is kind of different than dealing with soldiers only because airmen usually deploy independently, as do a lot of our sailors, you know, the corpsmen is specific. Mm-hmm. Um, they deploy like as individual units and are implanted in a joint environment. And so they maybe have a little more struggle because they're not embedded with the people that they usually see and work with and belong with. And now they feel like they're in a a totally different branch of service affiliation, which does sometimes cause Mm -hmm. that stress. Mm -hmm. But with, with soldiers, I often find that they really feel more resilient in the deployed environment because they have that connectivity. They deploy as a unit or, or whatever they're called in specifically, but they deploy as a group. The same home station folks oftentimes are deploying together. And so when they don't have the home family environment, they have their brothers and sisters in arms that they're used Mm -hmm. to dealing with regularly. And so I do see kind of that difference in resilience. And we do train to that um, when we're dealing with at least the first term airmen in my environment is letting them understand that that's going to be some of the struggle when they get where they're going is that that lack of sense of belonging and so that they have to strive to find their happiness. But, you know, we joke all the time that you're going to find those people that are unhappy at Hickam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is where I'm going next week, ironically. You can be unhappy anywhere, but but what you're saying is that when you have battle buddies um, and people to be around you, that that unity helps, correct? It is helpful. It really is. And I, I wanted to do this, Nicole. I wanted to chime in a little bit mm-hmm. um, on that because one of the things we know, um, even on the back end, um, is that connect- connectivity can be the number one um, buffer for suicidality. And so when we're, you know, we're we're talking about building resilience sort of on the front end, but we also know in terms of the remedy that the place where we get the most bang from our bang for our buck is in those connections. And so um, the power of connections, you know, can be even life or death kinds of, um, uh, of an outcome. It, it makes perfect sense because connect, we all have to feel a, that we belong to something. Uh, we have a purpose. They certainly have a purpose. But as you're talking about 
having the connections is very, very important between them. And do you see differences between the service branches in any way? You have about 30 seconds, so we need to have a quick answer, and we'll return after the break for more. Yes. Not only do I see it between the different branches, but also the different kinds of services, um, how uh, National Guard members develop mm-hmm. connection versus reservists versus active duty. That that definitely there are some differences and nuances in how they go about building that sense of belonging and connection among each other. Perfect. Well said. We are going to go on a quick break. We'll be back in just a very short while. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. This is Uncommon Sense for Leaders, a forum for exploring leadership from the intellect, the heart, and the spirit. Whether you're a leader now or aspire to be a leader in the future, you owe it to yourself to learn about the big ideas that have shaped the careers of compelling communicators, masters of influence, and highly effective leaders. Uncommon Sense for Leaders. Tune in to hear thought-provoking ideas on every aspect of leadership. You can expect dynamic discussions with special guests, quick tips you can apply immediately for better results, and the tools you need to take you from where you are to where you want to be as a leader. Are you ready to crack the code for achieving unprecedented results? Then join the host for Uncommon Sense for Leaders, Catherine Carlisi, every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the All Business Radio Network. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We were talking about connection and the importance of building connection. And now I'd love to take us into the next emotion that I think is is truly valuable for resiliency, and that would be building hope. So I I shouldn't send that one to hope. Why don't I send that to Mary? So Mary, (laughs) that might get confusing. Hope, talk about hope. Now, chime in as you will, but let's talk about the importance of building hope and how it does help build strength. It's a skill that can be developed. 
Absolutely. You have nailed it on the head. It is. It develops as a learned process. So hope isn't something that natu- that comes very natural. It's something that's a lear- you have to learn it. You have to see it, put into action, and then you develop it in your own life. You know, the, the a, a traditional definition for hope is leaping forward in expectation. I like thinking of it that way. You're leaping forward ho- in this hope sense of hopefulness in your life. And it really is hope is associated with improved quality of life. And largely correlated with success and achievement in a person's life. Um, you know, again, a, a life without connection or belonging and a life without hope is a very dismal life. And we, again, we want to learn how to teach people how to build that sense of hope on a day-to-day basis. Now, I'm just curious, I like how do you do that? Or hope, do you want to take that? Yes. I mean, I think that a lot of what we have to do with with our branches of service, particularly our young people, is to give them something to look forward to. Um, What is it that they hope to see themselves doing in a week, a month, a year? How do we help them find a direction so that even when they feel like they are hopeless or they're at the bottom of their feeling capacity, I dare say, that they have something to pick them up and look forward to doing that, that why do I get up in the morning and move forward? And so I think it's, it's largely important that we establish like goal setting or even encourage dreaming, let them think big and large and how far forward could they imagine seeing themselves go so that they have a direction to head to when things seem really tough. You know, Linda, just let me jump in there because I think this is a great segue into talking about families and military or couples in general and and the aspect of hope. You know, a lot of literature shows that if couples sit down and anticipate um, where they want to be in the future, as hope mentioned, uh, future vacations, things that they can see themselves doing, it actually helps them to build connection and they become stronger as a couple. I think that that's really crucial. Um, that, That brings up a question. It just makes me think. Do you work with them to visualize? Because dreams are often mm-hmm. things that you have to visualize to feel. Definitely. Nicole, do you, yeah, sure. Yeah, there's actually research evidence that shows that being able to um, visualize or use imagery of mm-hmm. yourself in future situations can build hope in the present, but also mm-hmm. make it more likely that you will achieve those dreams and aspirations. And so, so that is why they things, tell, I'm sorry, keep going. Go ahead. Oh, I well, I was, I was things, going to say, this is when they tell you to build a dream board, you know, take pictures, there you go. say where yes. you want to go, um, yes. say the words out loud, because it is visual and it's reinforcing. Exactly. And one of the things that we know about being in a state of hopelessness is that our thinking can become really restrictive and so that or in constrictive and so that all we can see is maybe one option. Mm-hmm. And so being able to um, see things in a broader perspective can actually generate a little bit more hope. And so having some, even if you're not feeling the emotion of hope, putting some thought to other aspects of you know, what might be possible can generate some of that hopeful emotion. Well, and Nicole brings up an excellent point that oftentimes when people get into that constricted thinking, they don't see those options. They can't, they don't, they can't visualize that. And I think part of uh, the process of building hope in a person is reminding them that failure is a part of growth. So when they might be feeling a bit of hopelessness, hopefully before they get into the, the constricted thinking, to remind them and share your stories as senior leaders or uh, senior family members, if you will, that failure 
failure is going to be an occurrence in your life. And I think that when what I find in my training and in my experience working with military members is when senior leaders share their stories of struggle and success, our airmen, our sailors, our coasties, all of them uh, tend to be able to understand that sense of hope more and, uh, and, and not feel isolated. Again, that word connection. They feel less isolated that they're the only ones that are going through this. Well, you bring up also the point that people must learn to communicate when they get into these places. So how do you use that? You mentioned connection. Well, clearly, if someone is isolating themselves, they're not communicating with other people. And it's easy to stay Mm. in your dark bubble. So how do you build in the fact that reaching out and communicate, we always hear, you know, reach out if you need to, it's a matter of strength to do so. And that part's fine. But when you don't feel like it, do you teach people how to um, get to a certain point and then say, now I know that that means I really should pick up the phone and talk to my buddy, or I should, uh, you know, write something down in my journal or something. How do Mm -hmm. you teach them that communication is so much better than pulling back and isolating? That's a great um, question. And in a place where we can sometimes get stuck with clients, because you're, you're right, during that time um, in uh, when things aren't going well, it's hard to generate any kind of, um, if we're talking about hope, any kind of hope that things will be different. And there's a couple of things um, that I wanted to touch on that you said. That the first is that when you do have those times in your life when um, things are going well and you reach out to someone to journal about that mm-hmm. and be able to use that as um, evidence during those times that are hard, you know, of mm-hmm. things, the, the things, evidence of when things went well. Also, um, I think it makes it easier for people to reach out. And when we're talking about hope, um, what we find is that actually people's stories of struggle um, offer more connection than people's stories of success. Mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes um, we uh, or even, um, you know, uh, service members will think, I need to give uh, people advice and, and give them examples of when I've overcome stress and overcome adversity. And definitely those are important, but people feel much more connected uh, in, in their struggle to someone else who has struggled. And so um, for on the other end of that, uh, people would be more likely to reach out to someone who's also shared their struggle, if that makes sense. So a way we can help people reach out is by sharing our own stories of struggle. I think that's important because talking to people is so vital. It it really is something that, as you say, uh, sharing experiences, sharing struggles. Um, everybody thinks they're unique in their struggles, and it turns out that right. we all have struggles of different kinds. Right, and I, right. I might add to that that in terms of how the because you asked the question, how do we do that? Mm-hmm. I think that again, it depends on the branch, and it also breaks down into how will senior leaders do that? How will mid tier leaders do that? How will frontline service members do that with each other? You know, um, that's really critical, and it, it, it has it takes a great amount of intentionality in terms of reaching out and finding creative ways to inspire and share your story. 
stories and build that sense of hope in uh, that community, whether whatever the community might be, whether it's a um, uh, a squadron, you know, a unit, um, or you know, whatever it may be. But how people do that, it's about brainstorming, and that's also about building connection, getting leaders together or mid-tier people together to share their stories and come up with these ideas. I once was at um, an, a, 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 a National Guard event, and that was the question. I was talking to senior leaders, and they asked, well, gosh, in the, you know, one week in a month that I get people, how am I going to build this sense of hope and share my stories when we're doing drill and, you know, we have these activities and there's requirements for computer-based training? And my, res- I mean, of course, I came up with 20 ideas right off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but one of my responses was, well, do they eat? <laughs> do they oh, eat? Perfect. I mean, I mean, come on. You know, do they run? You know, you run beside them. You have a burger burn, you know, forced, forced fun. But those things really do, again, give you the opportunity to share your stories like Nicole was talking about, but also – build that connection. And I'd like to hear from Hope in terms of your your experience and observations, not just as a resilience trainer, but as a service member. How do you, from the inside of being a service member, see um, people sharing or building hope? So, you know, I think it's fantastic, the idea of sharing your story and talking to somebody and just letting them know that you've been through some tough times, because I've actually seen it in practice where I've been in environments where there are people of all different ranks and family members, it it might be a Christmas party or, you know, whatever, and we're having these conversations, and I would say, you know, here's some of the things I've seen, here's what some of our airmen are doing, and you would share your story and say what you've done, and I have no lie, on on multiple occasions, had commanders and commander spouses contact me and say, hey, you know what, do you have a minute? And they often are the forgotten ones, the leadership in those high places. They're always expected to take care of those that are below them. And so people tend to not pay as much attention to their needs, but they're open and willing to call me and say, hey, I can't really share this with my peers because I don't want them to see me as weak or I don't want them to think I have issues or I can't share this with the other spouses because I don't want them to think that my husband's wife is a mess. And so Mm -hmm. they'll share with me the struggles that they're going through because they feel like I can relate. And then since I've been through those things or I've seen some of those things myself, that I would be willing to hear their story and not judge them and give them the connection they're looking for. And they're hungry for it at all levels. And so I think sometimes it's important for us to realize that no one is immune from the struggle and that we can all, in sharing our story, boost that connectivity, encourage those relationships and foster openness, which will allow people the opportunity to know who they can go to in those times that they struggle. You you know, go ahead, Linda. Well, I was just thinking that, you know, leaders, that was a very interesting point about leadership because the military culture is one that promotes strength and, as you say, not showing weakness, etc. But I think that people really look up to someone who is at a higher level that can share a, a story and a, a communication of, of what they've done because it's really very special. And I think it's wonderful that you are offering an outlet for leadership because they need it too. Absolutely. Right. And I, I think that service members need to know that their commanders um, and senior leaders put their pants on one leg at a time just as well as, any, as the next person. You know? I, I, you're exactly right. And I, I think it's very important from top to bottom to be able to know about these ways of infusing positivity, if you will, into, into life. Ooh. So thank you so much. We are um, 
going to take a break and we'll be right back talking about the next component that's so happy, helpful in resilience. This is Military Network Radio and we'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio and we'll be right back after these short messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Let's face it, we are all aging and our bodies are changing. Our muscles tend to get tight and stiff as we age. But simple stretching can help with the tightness and stiffness of your muscles. Always stretch after your workout and not before. Your muscles need to be worn before you start stretching them out. Never force a stretch. Don't get to the point where you take the stretch too far and hurt yourself. Be sure to breathe. Breathing helps send that oxygen-rich blood into your muscles. Aim to stretch daily, but make sure you stretch at least three times per week. Keep your body flexible and pliable. Give priority to the muscles that you use the most in your workouts and in everyday life. Don't neglect any major muscle groups. Stretch, breathe, and relax. It's so good for you. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We have talked about connection and hope as being very important tools for resiliency and, and staying positive. And I would love to talk now about that whole science of positivity and the proof that gratitude gives you a foundation that keeps that resiliency even stronger. So I'm not sure who to direct that to. Perhaps Nicole? Sure. I'll, I'll be glad to. Um, and, and you said it really well, Linda. The um, gratitude really is the foundation and um, the birthplace of um, positive emotion. And in fact, most most of the time, or in fact, even all of the time, we're not able to just generate positive emotion. You can't say like, "Oh, Nicole, feel joy," and all of a sudden <laughs> become joyful. Uh, but the one emotion that we can generate sort of on demand is gratitude. Mm-hmm. And so just by thinking of things for which we're grateful, and actually research shows this, um, we're able to generate positive emotion. And uh, we were talking during the break about the idea of gratitude being a Velcro concept. 
mm-hmm. and or a Velcro emotion that by feeling gratitude, other emotions sort of glob onto that or sort of magnetize to it. And so it's contagious. And so by feeling gratitude, you're more likely to then be able to experience joy and peace and other positive emotions, contentment. Um, so it's, there's a, a theory of, of, of positive emotion called a, a broaden and build theory. And mm-hmm. gratitude is a, um, an emotion that allows us to broaden and see other options like we were talking about before um, in terms of uh, your choices. Um, but also it provides a foundation or a building block of other positive emotions um, to sort of glob onto that or build on. You know, what's fascinating to me is that the science is now supporting what we knew instinctively. Exactly. And so if we can get into habits, and correct me if I'm wrong, of reframing our thoughts around what is occurring to us or about us or to someone we love, if you can get into the habit of reframing things in a positive way, you get into that habit so that it becomes your default thinking. Which is, well, is that, is that true or is that just something you again have to develop? No, it, it is would, true. Go ahead. I, I think it is true that, and it sort of leads me to a, another thought I was having about this is that if we catch, if we spend more time catching our service members doing positive things and giving gratitude, and when we catch them actually doing it, we mm-hmm. build it. And it, again, it leads to that, that Velcro concept, not just for the person, but that it grabs onto other people. And so it's like changing the, per, the spectacles that a person is wearing and noticing when someone is expressing gratitude that they may not even notice that they're expressing it, but pointing it out to them so that they can start to be more aware that that's what they're doing and building it again into a strength-based life. What is also fascinating is that it is contagious, as you were talking about. When you're around a group of people who are positive, you tend to be more positive. If you're around negative right. people, that is contagious as well. And I, I forget who said the quote, but it, it is that you really are the sum quotient of the five closest people to you. And so if you're around a lot of toxic, negative people, that doesn't lead to a really good mindset. But if you can reframe and and begin to change other people's, you can't change other people's mindsets, but if you can demonstrate your own, um, that that is actually a, a very defaulted, um, practiced, developed skill that someone can learn. Yeah, absolutely. I think another benefit of the gratitude component, and again, recognizing that there are many, many different life skills that a person can put into action, but the four that we're talking about today, literature really shows if you can focus on these four in adding them and strengthening them to your life, you know, you will live a different experience. But one of the other really important points about gratitude is that literature does show that it promotes healing from trauma and grief. Mm-hmm. And we talk, we hear a lot in the military about trauma, but I don't think that we talk about grief as much. And grief is really critical. And so if we know that one of the core components to combating or facing grief that people experience is working through gratitude and ex- uh, building the sense of gratitude, we need to be doing more of it. 
It's and, true. And, and I see it all the time uh, at work. You would see somebody come by and they're, oh my gosh, today this went wrong. And oh, that went wrong. And all of these complaints about how bad things are. And you would hear somebody go, we'll be happy you have a job. And so then they would go, okay, I'm happy I have a job. And so you would almost start to feed positivity. Like here's a better way to reframe what's going on or look toward the more positive side of things. And after a while, I would say, well, today you see much better than you've seen seemed in the past. And they would say, well, I almost feel guilty when I'm in a bad mood around you because you always have such positive things to say. So now I'm trying to find the better in it, you know? So it really is contagious. You can give somebody the opportunity to look for the better part of something and, you know, accept only that positive side of their, or to be their first thought. And it really does help them look for that positivity so that they're not starting a conversation with how bad things are or, you know, hopeless. But you're, you're right, though, if they're aware. So it's an awareness component, too. Yeah, if they're absolutely. aware of it and if you're able to, to turn the conversation as you just demonstrated, I think people then do start to put their issues into perspective. Okay, there are these five bad things, but my goodness, there are these 10 good things that either happened or I'm grateful for or I'm, I'm feeling blessed or whatever it may be. And, and so it really does become a new default, a positive default. Absolutely. So, I, so you're, you're a walking, talking component of that, Hope. Obviously, I, I feel love guilty it. around you. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I and love I it. And I, I, go ahead, Nicole. I was just going to say, I think it's really important for that to be the way in which gratitude is expressed and is more as like as a role model as opposed to um, trying to make it contagious by telling other people what they should be grateful for. Mm-hmm. There is not much research support that suggests that's very effective. So You're the right. idea of, you know, when um, our parents used to do that, it's like, I mean, think of all the starving children in China, you know, <laughs> that is not um, very helpful. And in fact, can kind of shut down conversation. And, and so it's, where we can make the most impact and where leaders can make the most impact is by themselves living from gratitude. But it's not always helpful to tell other people what they need to be grateful for. That's a very good point. So in other words, walking the walk as well as talking the talk is Mm -hmm. is a better way to demonstrate the life skill. I also find that people who have light in them who are positive – tend to attract that and that right. people are very much attracted to people who are positive because I think we're sort of wired to be that way and we mm-hmm. let life get in the way. So it's really nice when the positive and the gratitude is there. Now, we often tell caregivers to keep gratitude journals before you go to bed at night, write mm-hmm. down five things you're grateful for. And it's a small step, but would you say that that is a, as a good way to start if it's not a way of thinking you're familiar with? Definitely. Nicole, take that one. Yes, definitely. And actually there's research that shows that by doing that for one month, that the effects of that last up to six months. Oh my. And okay. I, and so as an intervention, I, mean, I say this all the time, it, you know, that's better than Prozac. <laughs> you know, you, <laughs> as an intervention, you can't have yes. something that, you know, that lasts that long that has that long of effect just by even doing it for one month and and the things that you, that people can write down for which they're grateful actually the, the research shows just even by writing down three things mm-hmm. um but it doesn't have to be like world peace and my health it can be i always say this one you know in the winter i say this the seat warmers in my car you know i don't have mm-hmm. a fancy car but oh, i love yes. those seat warmers and so 
it can be things like that. In fact, those can even be more meaningful. So they can be things that might even seem silly to other people, um, but but those little bitty things that can add up. I think you're right, Nicole, just to um, to make a point on that as well, that sometimes going back to the idea of person a person being in grief or what you mentioned earlier, Linda, that a person, when they're in that dark place, may not be able to reach out and is distancing themselves from the connection, helping them to start with baby steps in the small things that Nicole was talking about that someone might feel grateful for. So you've had this larger, tragic thing happen in your life. How are you, what daily things can you see that you are blessed with, you know? Uh, what can you be grateful for it? And I agree that seat warmers in a car in the winter are, are <laughs> <laughs> absolutely something I'm grateful for. So, so starting the, out in baby steps. One of the things that I think is important is I think it's fantastic that we've mentioned here that modeling is one of the best ways to demonstrate that positivity and to breed that kind of infectious I dare say happiness amongst folks. But I also think sometimes it's important that we point out that it is important to teach people because sometimes folks just don't know how to be grateful. I recognize it all the time in our young service members that once the negativity creeps in and they don't have mom or dad or brother or sister or their normal support network there telling them that it's going to be okay, they really do sometimes feel that helplessness. And they're like, I don't even know how to see something more positive. Everything seems bad right now which is why sometimes I think if you can point them in the right direction with, well, what does it mean to be grateful? What does gratitude look like? What are some of the things that you can recognize that maybe are small, like a seat warmer, that otherwise you would have had one more thing to feel horrible about? Um, And so I think instructing them on how to to seek gratitude, even in their every day, is helpful. And even when you write things down at night, I, I know that I personally keep a gratitude journal, and I don't mind telling you that some days it's harder to find five things, but it can be something so small as seeing sunlight coming through the blinds after four days of rain, mm-hmm. and you find yourself during the day saying, ooh, I need to write that down. I, I saw a, a beautiful cardinal. It was, you know, it was flew right past me. Something that becomes a habit. And as you know, habits take time to learn. So some of these smaller steps really do take, as you said, 30 days, 21 days, whatever the people, uh, you know, the, the habitual time frame would be. But it's very important to instruct that because you can change that mindset. I love that. So one of the things that I started doing with our airmen in the first-term airmen center is many of them, they don't journal. They're not interested in writing. They don't want to put anything down on paper, but boy, are they tech junkies. So what I would ask them to do is on their lunch before they came in in the morning or maybe when they went home in the evening, if they found something to be grateful for, to snap a picture of it on their iPhone. And when I wouldn't allow them or their, their phone of any kind, and when I wouldn't allow them to normally have their phones in the classroom, when we would go over the something for them to be grateful for, I would allow them to demonstrate their pictures and you would watch their faces light up as they just showed their pictures to the other persons in the room with them. And so it just gave them almost like a, an Instagram or a picture journal of how, how they could demonstrate their gratitude. Well, pictures worth a thousand words. We're going to go on a short break now. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we will be right back. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Radio 
Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome to Toginet, cutting edge radio. It's merging Did you know there are ways you can boost your natural happy chemicals? The expectation of reaching a goal can cause your body to produce dopamine. Early settlers in America probably got a rush of dopamine upon discovering a new watering hole. Today, we might expect the same pleasurable feeling by finding the perfect parking space. The expectation of a reward releases the energy needed to reach the goal. What's a word meaning the will to win? Spizzerinkdom. Endorphins are other chemicals released by the body to mask pain and cause a feeling of euphoria. Runners are known to make themselves release these endorphins by pushing themselves past their limits. But the simple acts of laughing and stretching can cause the release of endorphins as well. What's another word for stretching? Pandiculation. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We've talked about belonging and the sense of connection hope and we spoke just now about how gratitude really is a mindset and can be learned developed and nurtured i'm thinking that the fourth quality that we are going to talk about which is flexibility is helped by building that gratitude um who would like to take this next section well, I, I think definitely it is. It's a nice segue into the idea of flexibility that the more grateful you are and the more you evidence that in your relationships, generally the more flexible you will become. And in fact, increasing your mental flexibility, literature shows, helps to transform relationships and actually increase intimacy. And there we go again, yeah. increasing connection. So you see how these four concepts really go are key before that reason. They all really blend together very nicely. So, and I'd like to point out that when we talk about flexibility, we are not just referring to mental flexibility, that um, when you build uh, physical flexibility, you're also going to work on increasing your mental flexibility, which leads, which goes back to the earlier comment you made about when you're in that dark place. This is part of the reason why we encourage people to get out of bed and just walk if all they do is include some physical flexibility or some physical activity to increase that flexibility vicariously, they will also hopefully increase their mental flexibility, but it is key in improving their overall well-being. Well, you're also talking about going outdoors, 
Nature is nurturing. Pets can be nurturing. There are, are lots of things that can help you to realize that you do belong, even if you are living alone. Because not everybody has family close by or a wingman right there. Um, but it, it really is important that you, you gain in flexibility and, as you said, even movement. Get out and, and move. Um, Hope, you mentioned about the wingman. Is, is that similar to what I would call the battle buddy? Oh, absolutely. Same thing as a shipmate. Okay. Yep. You um, Having that somebody with you, even if they're not with you in person, like I know a lot of people who say, yeah, my wingman moved to the other side of the United States or now is stationed at Ramstein. Um, just knowing that that somebody is there for you, even if you can't talk to them in the immediate, maybe they're in a deployed environment so you can't reach them right away, to know that somebody would be there for you no matter what, that is very stimulating and allows that somebody to think outside of the angry, sad, mad, or hopeless they might be feeling because they know that no matter what that wingman would be there for them if they needed them truly just having that that feeling that somebody is there for you and somebody cares for you just like mary consistently refers back to that connection knowing that somebody's there for you even if not physically and and hope wonderful point i actually think that this is where technology brings us connection you know Mm -hmm. um no matter where i am in the world i can text my wingman and by the way one of my wingmen is nicole and so (laughs) it brings me me a great sense of relief when i'm about to do a briefing or something and i'm stressed about something i can text her and immediately get you know this positive she'll say something hopeful or she'll reframe it um and so this is one of those categories um where i think that technology Technology actually helps our sailors and our airmen and our, our army families, um, and, and mention the families too, the families as well, that when you've got a, a loved one deployed, the flexibility, developing that flexibility, that it doesn't have to be Skype, it doesn't have to be a written letter, it can be all sorts of different mechanisms, which of course are now being very promoted. You know, you, you keep mentioning technology, and oftentimes you can have um, nurturing centers right in the palm of your hand. You mentioned photographs already or pictures. You can have music and songs that restore your well-being. Um, everybody knows about good positive songs that make them happy or have evoke uh, good memories. Um, quotes. There are things that you can keep right in that nice smartphone right beside you so that it's mm-hmm. always there. But and- I will... I will tell you this. I think that one of the best ways to develop flexibility, mental agility and flexibility in our service members is for leaders to demonstrate it. It goes back to demonstrating your own gratitude. If, if you've got a plane that you've got to get take, you know, to take off and you're missing the part and you ordered it and you've got a mission to complete, you've got to get together in a huddle and say, all right, we don't have the part. How are we going to make this happen? Mm. You know, you're brainstorming ideas and you are teaching them mental agility and that flexibility. You're teaching them to think outside the box. And when you see that in action, it again has that contagion effect of now that mid-tier person is going to hopefully bring it to the next level of people when when they're in a dilemma. How are we going to fix this? We don't want to sit around and belabor that we don't have the part. Let's figure out the solution. That's flexibility. That's terrific flexibility, but on those same lines, when you are giving your briefings, are you giving them only to the service members and the leadership, or do you also have the opportunity to reach out to family members? Oftentimes, in fact, one of the brief briefings I'll be doing next week in, at Pearl Harbor will be for family members, for ombudsmen, which Good. are the Air Force's key spouses, mm-hmm. on, on how to develop the, this kind of resilience and respond to crises. 
Good, because I, I think that the family members really do provide the foundation for so many of our service members, and they are often forgotten in terms of the trainings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I when I um, when I moved to where I am today uh, in Alabama, I will never forget. It was one of the first clinics I worked in where I was the only um, military family member. They were all civilians, and they had never worked with a military person before. And I will never forget it. This this one colleague came up to me, and Nicole's going to laugh when I tell the story. But the person said, "You are so rigid. You know, you are so rigid." And I looked at her, and I said, "And I, I mean, I was stunned because mm-hmm. I thought, are you kidding me? I have traveled for 18 years." I looked at her, and I said, "How many times have you moved? How many d- d- dentists have you changed to? How many primary care physicians have you had? How many sets of?" of school records have you had to move? Don't tell me that I am rigid. I control what I can control because it's within my means to control it, which is what we want to teach people. The distinction between what do you control and where can you be flexible? And I was just, I shot it right back out at her. I thought, oh my gosh, I have to be more flexible than anyone I know in this clinic. (laughs) Perfect. Now, does any of this ever trickle down to the children? Because the youth and the teens, we've had a a, a whole program that was devoted to the pressures that teens and youth in the military feel because they don't want to jeopardize their parents' future by acting out in some way. I mean, it's almost preacher kid syndrome, um, that kind of thing. Does any of this training go down to the youth? Absolutely. Um, I know that at least within the walls of the Air Force, we are definitely bringing resilience to the families, inviting spouses and children. And the reasons why we do that is because oftentimes our families are forgotten. We think the stressors of military life lay only in our shoulders. But what we don't understand is that the person making the day-to-day grind take place when we're out is the family. And the kids that are having to deal with the stressors of mom and dad that are at each other's throats or um, the kids that are having to move from school to school, those kinds of things weigh really heavy on somebody and where you might be tempted to say, um, so-and-so moved last year and they got over it just fine. You'll be okay. Um, You can't discount how one person feels about something. And so demonstrating your willingness to be there for them, but these strengths, giving them that strength-based living, the opportunity to understand how that works goes a really long way when these folks feel like they don't have another outlet, and especially when you're dealing with children. And so we do find it important to train the families on resilience because when your family's unhappy, you're unhappy, absolutely. Oh, it affects mission readiness, everything. I mean, it's it's practical as well as um, familial. I mean, it really does make Mm -hmm. sense. So, Nicole, would you add to that, please? I would say that, that we, we were talking before about how um, a lot of these emotions or, you know, like gratitude is a Velcro concept and um, other positive emotions are Velcro concepts. And so when I'm thinking about, you know, how things can trickle down to the children um, and, and sort of that contagion effect, um, the way we talk about the things that start with our leaders and trickle down, we can talk about that in the same way with our families in terms of how by having practicing these concepts that there can be a trickle down effect even to our children. I like what Hope said earlier and I'm a big uh, proponent of this too of in addition to that trickle down effect actually also having um, you know uh, education for our children parents educating their children not not just um, you know like having workshops or 
retreats, but parents educating their children on, you know, we spend a lot of time educating them on all kinds of things, um, things not to do, but how much do we do in terms of the strength-based living and, um, you know, teaching them how to express gratitude, teaching them how to live from hope. Nicole, you bring up a really great point that when we talk about these concepts, that they uh, expand well beyond the service and, and to us as a community, a sense of community. Imagine if school teachers were taught these core concepts and how to infuse them in, in a daily way into the work that they do with their children in a math class. So, mm-hmm. you know, bringing this to ministry, bringing this to, um, you know, school systems, bringing this to uh, crisis response people, um, to coaches, uh, you know, this is hopefully that we're seeing a new movement. And I generally find, Linda, that when the military embraces a concept, generally the larger public then begins to embrace it. Um, you know, again, we didn't know about concepts like postvention, uh, you know, in a lot of different communities. And largely now we are expanding that understanding. And this strength-based living is now, I hate to say it, but a Velcro effect as well. Again, looking at the strengths rather than the weaknesses of people. Well, and I think when you build upon people's strengths, that's automatically positive. It builds a connection when you can share stories. It builds hope when you can meet adversity well and come through it. And it builds the flexibility that you can go and do it again and again because no one ever said life would be easy. But with these tools, you really can deal with life, um, as you said, in a strength-based way by developing and nurturing those skills. We have about a minute left. Who would like to take the last minute? Um, I'd actually, I have a quote I think might be a nice way to sum up the four, you know, what we've been talking about as a team. Um, It's by Leo Biscaglia, and it's one of my favorite. Um, It it goes, um, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Connection, hope, gratitude and flexibility are core concepts to do that and change lives. And so I'm very grateful, Linda, that you gave us the opportunity to join you as a team uh, to share these concepts with families and service members. Well, I'm grateful to have you on. So thank you so much to Hope, Nicole, and Mary. What you provided is a toolkit that will make a huge difference in people's lives. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 